does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Mark James on the call. IMS Radio Network and IndyCar Radio with Elio Castroneves winning his fourth Indianapolis 500-mile race. The drive for five continues this year, and he joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Elio, I'll get right to this. When you hear that audio still to this day, it does what for you? Oh, Jake, let me tell you, man, that was, uh, that was cool, especially followed by the music, I'm unstoppable, yes, I am, I will be, <laughs> <laughs> great talk to you guys, great to be in the show, I can't wait, month of May is here, That's, um, that means, um, yeah, Indy 500 is here, so super excited, super, super, super excited um, uh, when we had the test on April uh, for the open test, I felt the car really good, um, and especially in traffic. However, we still need a little speed. I can see some of the competitors really improve on their own, um, and that helps, obviously, if we started in the front. Like last year, last year we started so far back that we had to we had the whole race until we get to the top 10, but uh, starting a little bit better, we're definitely going to help us to be better for the, for the win. Okay, Ellie, you kind of hinted at it there. Um, I know it's more like a week from today when things really get started oval-wise, but based off that one practice, your level of confidence coming up here in a few Sundays. Super high. Um, again, and it's not only about um, being fast. Again, we, uh, we all know, Kevin, that this race is <laughs> its not where we started. It's where we finished. However, it, it helps going a little bit for- forward, especially because these days um, everything is so close. Everybody's so tight in times, and uh, and, and it's, it's tough. And, and the yellows, not like used to be. Used to be have a lot more yellows in the past, but because... It's a little bit harder to approach the other car to pass. I believe maybe this year, because we have some uh, areas that the series were able to allow to use uh, to increase downforce, we might have a little more, uh, you know, potential people side by side in the corners, and that should be uh, that should be fun too. Elio, I was thinking about this this morning, which should actually be pretty flattering because at six thirty in the morning, there's not a lot I'm thinking about, right, other than trying to wake up, but. <laughs> You've turned, if I'm not mistaken, and my math could be off on this, but in the race itself, you have turned just under 4,200 total laps in your career at Indianapolis, right? And when you think about that, I was curious, and this is going to sound like a really dumb question to a lot of people, but let's just say 4,000 for the sake of argument. If you have turned 4,000 laps in the Indianapolis 500, how many different ways have you turned a lap? In other words, is every lap seemingly different than the one before? Absolutely. And and by the way, I don't know how you guys, which I'm impressed, by the way, to find out all these laps, all these status, because I don't know. I When you said right, I was like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> this is a great way to, uh, to uh, start the month. Um, I have to say yes, because this place, people don't realize that it's not um, – a place that even the four corners are the same. The corners are have some different angles. Plus, you put the weather in in uh, in, in the mix. Um, and when you have that, not every day is the same, right? There's always there is a little bit of temperature different, a little bit of breeze. 
and um, and that's why you always need to adapt. So, but again, you still I'm still learning. I probably understand more what I need to do to achieve my goals uh, than the others maybe, and that helps me to put me in a position to uh, to be better than the others. Hardest turn of the four for you, the most difficult is which? Uh, I think it's, it, it depends on the wind. <laughs> depends on the wind. In my, in my, I, I know it's one of those, but turn one is always the toughest one. I guess this might might be a dumb question, Elio, but kind of keeping along those lines, do, ideally, do you want the wind blowing you more towards the inside of the track versus the wall? I would say, you know, it's funny that you said that, Kevin, because people say like, hey, northeast, northwest. It's like, guys, don't don't tell me north, south. I'm not a compass. <laughs> I, I, where is, where what? You know, tell me like from turn four to turn two or tell me that way that those are what I understand. And, uh, but uh, I think if you, if you have the wind, Hitting you on the nose in turn one, uh, probably you have a better. Um, it, it feels a little bit better because turn three has a little more banking, and even if the wind is hitting you on the back, um, you can go a little wide and or you can go a little lower, especially for the exit of the corner. The car to to you know fix with the wind uh, uh, direction. So that would be probably my uh, my preference. He's Elio Castroneves, obviously going for his fifth Indianapolis 500 coming up here in a few Sundays. Elio, we had Marcus Erickson on yesterday, and he was talking to us about you know going back home to Sweden and you know how cool of an experience that was as the Indy 500 winner was just at the Kentucky Derby. Out of all your wins, what has been maybe the coolest moment, the coolest person you've met in celebrating your wins? Uh, we can't. Um, we can't. Uh, I think all of you saw it, and for me, it was pretty much the same. I mean, me celebrating the win, last win in 2021, and when Mario <laughs> come over, and uh, I didn't know he kissed me. By the way, uh, uh, in my in my in my head, I I I was just like so happy to see him since we were actually the entire month that year we're seeing each other because MSR has uh, uh, a particular alliance. Uh, technical alliance with Andretti. So it was really cool to see that and feel that. It was kind of like a blessing from the gods of racing, you know. So that for me was um, was really cool. But obviously I can't forget about RP. I mean, Roger, all the wins that I've been with him, the three of them, um, it was so cool. Even the fourth one that he was in the podium as the as the promoter and the owner of the track. And it was really cool to... Uh, to have him there as well. So um, plus, and actually, I can I, like I said, the last one, see Mike Shank running down the pit, <laughs> <laughs> crossing the the almost crossing the track, you know, to celebrate. That was uh, that was incredible. So the last one, certainly, there were, there are a lot of memories for a lot of people. Plus, part of history, right? Because that's where we matched number four with the with the incredible drivers AJ Foy, Rick Mears, and uh, Alan Senior. You know, Elio, a year ago, there was a lot of talk, obviously, of the drive for five. Penn Station, East Coast Subs getting on board, Meyershank Racing doing different promotions. That continues now. I mean, as long as you are in the car, there are going to be people talking about and focusing on whether or not you can get number five. I thought personally, in watching it last year, because I know that that we think of Elio Castroneves, you know, it's about winning. It's about winning the race. 
But I thought you had a heck of a run last year, quite frankly. I, I thought you and Simon both, you know, all of a sudden late in the race, it's like, hey, you know, they they had to be methodical to work their way through, like you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is there equal reward in that? I know you want to win every race, but can you walk away with a seventh place and say to yourself, we got the most out of it today, or is it always yeah. strictly about winning? Uh, that's a great observation. Uh, I have to be honest, it was a tough race uh, because you you – you bump into different drivers along the way, some of with no experience, that's the best one because you can pass them quick, and some with with experience that uh, then you stuck because they know what they're doing. And and that's uh, a challenge during the race, uh, find out when's the right moment to uh, to make a decision because, as I mentioned, <laughs> the cars are so weak these days, um, and, um, and obviously um, everybody's running at the same pace. It was my best result of the of the of the season. Actually, it was the seventh place uh, in the whole entire season. So, shows that um, yes, and that's a good thing about it. I trust my my setup. I know what I have. My car, my car is actually again is the same as the 2021 uh, win from from uh, for the win. So it's the same car again this year. So it, it, it's it, I know what to do. I know what we need to do. Just like I said, when I mentioned about speed. I noticed the Ganassi and even the, the, the McLaren cars, they are strong. They, you can see they have something a little bit more that we don't know, that they're about a mile and a half faster than anybody else. And, and again, and when you ask, how come this is possible? Because the cars are all the same. Well, that's the, the, the secret of the team. You know, They might have something uh, different and uh, that they were able the preparation of the car that it's not one thing, by the way. It's a combination of a lot of little details in the car that built to that. So, and that's what we've been working. Hopefully, uh, the off-season work will pay it off. Started 27th, finished 7th last year. It was the biggest rise of anybody in the race. Elio Castroneves with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, Elio, I don't know, maybe Tony Kanaan gets this question a little bit more. I feel like we've gone through this maybe before with TK, but this will be it for him. You've got a birthday that's on the horizon here. Uh, How many more of these you got left in you? Birthdays or races? (laughs) (laughs) Let me clarify there. I mean, Uh, come on, right? (laughs) Indianapolis 500 starts, to to clarify that. (laughs) That's right. Um, Actually, uh, I I will get my number five. I'm telling you, and and I love that because I I know. Actually, it's funny you guys asking me this. I was running this morning, and I was like, uh, 98 was my first season in IndyCar. And it's, it's, it's 25 years, right? So... I'm like, darn it! It feels like uh, like yesterday. I still kind of like had have some, you know, kind of like uh, excitement and nervousness, uh, butterfly in your stomach as every race, not only one, but every race. So uh, it's 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 good. It's good. But again, um, uh, it, it's not fun as well when you don't have the uh, the result that you expect. But um, I'm gonna keep it going because I know I know. In, in, the, it, it deep inside a lot of fans they want to see the history making and I want to give that to everyone but including myself now Elio one of the drawbacks for you probably in terms of the course of the month uh, I know you love fans I know you love interacting with the fans I've seen how great you are with them um, but you're going to have to interact with a fan with me on Carb Day. Let me explain. People can go mm. to Drive45. That's the number five. Drive45elio.com to register with Penn Station East Coast Subs. And then on Carb Day, after the practice is over, 
Um, we're going to do a little meet and greet and kind of I'll show people your car and maybe the wheel and what, what you're working with and then your chance to meet those fans as well. But I know what that means to you to be able to meet the people that come out and support you at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You're right, uh, my friend. It's actually uh, interesting to interact with everyone. I, I get a lot of uh, requests from Cameo and so many people telling a little bit of their story regarding uh, the Indy 500. And it's amazing, I mean, to read um, uh, the requests uh, in terms of, uh, hey, uh, my dad is being a big fan of yours, or my dad is being for 50 Indy 500. It's like, holy moly, <laughs> that's a lot of 500. But that's cool. Why? Because um, it's part of people's life, and that's what I enjoyed. Uh, uh, I really like to hear the stories. I really like to because they've been decades and decades, and now passing through generation. And uh, yeah, if I would believe in Indianapolis, I would do the same thing to my to my kids. You know, because it is a lot of fun. You know, lastly, Elio, for me and for anybody listening to this who's been to the race, and I think you know this. Maybe maybe it took a while to grasp it, but. That place is so special to people, and I've always said the thing that makes IMS so unique is that everybody has a personal connection to it, and they feel that their personal connection is stronger or deeper than the person sitting next to them who has the exact same feeling. And I can only imagine what it must be like to drive past there, even in the middle of November, and see that venue and realize that no one has conquered it to a higher level than you have. Have you ever stopped to well, think about it? Well, well said regarding that place. Um, and now, I I don't think. In fact, I was talking. I don't think I still understand having my name cemented. Now it's cemented, literally, <laughs> in the track um, forever. Uh, I believe just my uh, my. I I think my daughter my, or my kids daughter one day they're going to understand what i did and maybe when i'm actually the age of aj foy <laughs> i probably gonna say hey i actually did pretty darn good there <laughs> so but as of right now i um i have so much here still to still to accomplish you know and uh and i'm not taking anything for granted what i already did uh but i i feel my my purpose here is still to do something special that um can be part of this this place so yeah indianapolis it is tattoo in my heart and um i can't um yeah it will be forever so you are 47 years old correct for like another what day what's that <laughs> another day right until midnight tonight so another 15 hours you're 47 years old uh I, i'm sure you know what goes well with milk we we certainly hope that you get milk again but birthday cake goes great with milk. So to, to finish you off, Elio. And Should I'm, we apologize up front? Yes, for we're going to apologize for this, Elio, but this uh-huh. is from all three of us. Yeah. Are you ready? We'll do it quickly. Yeah. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Elio. Happy birthday to you. All right. That was impressive. We will. Good um, job, guys. Wow. Well done. <laughs> now, you're dancing you with the stars. We could be on The Voice, that's, right? That's After right. that? Maybe that's you should right. be singing a record deal right now, guys. That was amazing. <laughs> that was well done. Hey, we will see you this weekend for the GMR Grand Prix. And then I look forward to, again, on Carb Day, drive45elio.com, where people can register for the meet and greet uh, there at the Meyer Shank Racing Garage. And we look forward to another fantastic month and watching you lead the cheers during the parade and all of it, Elio. It's always a pleasure. Great to be with you guys. Looking forward to it, and it's going to be a great fun month.
Happy birthday, Elio. Early birthday. Thank you, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, that conversation certainly sparked the phone lines. We'll get back into a little bit more IMS blackout talk a little bit later in the show and I'm sure later this week as well. Um, But some Colts conversation now. Joel A. Erickson from the Star joins us. Uh, Certainly go over a lot of things rookie minicamp related, but later this week the NFL schedule will be released. That's Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Joel, you think we could get an amendment on that schedule if Daniel Snyder still owned the Commanders for Colts and Commanders on it? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. That's turned into, in just a, a really short time, that's turned into a pretty pretty nice little uh, little rivalry the Colts and the Commanders have going on. Um, Talk about prime time right there, yeah. You, you feel like, it, how do you feel if you're the new owners? If you're Josh Harris and you're just like, wait, someone's going to try to take my draft pick? What, did, what happened? I don't get a draft pick the first year. And um, so, do you, do you think that's Ursay's goal here? I mean, he he seems relatively fired up about the Andrew Luck potential tampering the Commanders did or have done. Like, is that the end goal? It's not like the Colts would necessarily benefit. It's more of a, hey, I'm telling on you, and I want the public to know. Well, it, it's it's a good question. It's interesting to think about, like what. Um, what happens if, if this goes all the way there? The, the Dolphins gave up quite a lot for tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton. Um, it was a first-round pick this year, a third-round pick next year. Their owner got suspended and fined. So there was a lot of stuff there. I, there's also – I didn't know this was a thing until uh, the draft, really, but the Eagles got a better pick, better draft pick in a trade out of out of uh, Arizona tampering with Jonathan Gannon. Um so I don't know if that's you know maybe mm. a so the Colts could benefit too. Yeah, I, I I I like I said I didn't know that was a thing until the draft. So I didn't know you could uh, almost settle your differences uh, in a, in a tampering case like that. Um, this one seems a little more serious than that, but yeah, Ursay Ursay being very clear, you know, I want to make sure you understand that Andrew Luck is still under contract to the Colts, regardless of whether or not he's played for us. Uh, since 2019. Joel, here's what's confusing to me. And I mentioned this yesterday, so maybe you can shed light on it, or maybe since I was confused by it, more has come out to clarify it. Andrew Luck, when he retired, had, what, three years left on his contract, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. So my understanding was, so so to me, it has to be one of two things. Either that contractual obligation expires after a three-year period of the retirement, which at this point that expiration date would have passed, or or he has three years of contractual obligation to the Colts to honor upon the time that he returns to the NFL, which yes, would mean the second one. right, which would mean that at this time he is not under contract. The contract is is on pause. In other words, is he under? Is he there? ownership now forever is it do they own him forever until in case he wants to come back at the age of 57 yes they have his rights 
in perpetuity because the contract the, the, the contract pausing means that they have they they have those rights. Uh, and yes, if if he wanted to come back at the age of fifty seven, the and play for a different team, that team would have to trade for him. Yeah, see that's that's the part to me. So that that clarifies it. But then the other report that I saw initially, and I don't recall where, and I apologize for that, Joel, but said that they had inquired to the Colts about Andrew Luck, not to Andrew Luck directly. Do we know factually? I, I would assume Jim. I mean, Jim Irsay. I trust him by his word here, right? But did they inquire to the Colts, or did they inquire to a representative of Andrew Luck without the Colts' permission? Clearly, it must have been the latter, right? The the Colts. The Colts. My understanding is that the Colts want to investigate it, um, in order to find out if the second thing happened. Um, and I, I don't know if I've seen hard reporting on, on whether or not they asked the Colts at all. Um, obviously, Ursay reacted in a way that would make you think no. Um, but the the tampering rules are pretty the tampering rules are pretty uh, loose in terms of who is an associate of yours, uh, which I guess makes sense because if if it was just you and your agent or you and your family and your agent, then obviously there'd be really easy ways around that for a lot of guys. Um, but, and, and there's probably some element of this where there's, there's some, some of this that goes on, you know, in, in at the combine in Indianapolis and that kind of thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't come out publicly that it happened beforehand, uh, the way that this report did. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it because the NFL, like I said, with, with Miami, they didn't mess around with it, that tampering. Um, they, they came down pretty hard on the Dolphins. I don't really want to stay on the topic much longer, but I will just add, Andrew Luck's agent was his uncle, Will Wilson, and so it's not like we're talking about some mega CAA agent that would be at the Combine, you know, whatever, representing 10 different clients, and lo and behold, Andrew Luck just comes up in conversation. Hell, I don't even think, doesn't Will Wilson like work in soccer now, Joel? Yes, he has moved on. He's not even in the NFLPA's agent directory anymore. Yeah. Um, all right, R- rookie minicamp from over the weekend. Joel A. Erickson was out there from the Indianapolis Star. Um, again, it is rookie minicamp, um, so <laughs> let me preface by that. I will offer a couple of Anthony Richardson observations. You can either play off them or offer your own. Um, I did find it interesting just him like giving an example of, hey, at Florida, it was a three-step drop out of the shotgun. In the NFL, it's a five-step drop. Um, I think he used the phrase, you know, um, speed up my, my footwork as something that he needs to work on. And Joel, you know, I'm not sure I've ever seen a quarterback in between reps mimic his throwing motion, take mental reps, however you want to describe it, more than him. I mean, literally after every rep, I'm thinking, you just threw a perfect ball, and there he is, you know, as the tryout guys are going through their drills or their reps, there he is mimicking the drops and the throwing motion. So those were a couple of Richardson observations on my end. Yeah, you know, um, it reminded me actually of – and just to preface this, this specific thing that Kevin's talking about reminded me of Drew Brees. Uh, Brees did that, um, especially when he was hurt. He would go through it. Now, I, I covered him later in his career when he was probably trying to take rotations off of his shoulder a little bit more. So I don't remember for sure if he actually did the throwing, but he would do this thing where he would make a throw, even in routes on air, and then he would carry through um, the rest of his reads on, on whatever play or whatever route they had run. So he would like shift his feet and, and keep himself in motion after he'd made the throw and, and look at four, you know three or four other receivers. It kind of reminded me of that him doing that. 
Um, the other thing I noticed was that in this, it happened only a couple of times. I'm not usually a, a dive deep into the body language person, but it seemed pretty clear that there were a couple of times that Richardson just didn't like his throw uh, and, and kind of reacted visibly to that. Um, and, and at least on one of them, what was it, 11 on 11 completion that he, he kind of was like, he kind of made a, a, a head motion like, ah, I kind of wanted that, that one to be at a different spot. Which is is interesting. It kind of speaks to a um, kind of a perfectionist streak with how he's throwing this ball and, and trying to get better at it. Uh, I thought. I thought. It's hard to know. It, it, it's the first time we're watching him, but it was something that came up a couple of times over two days. I guess a question for either one of you guys. Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Of course, you can read his work covering the Colts with the Indianapolis Star. A, a question for either one of you guys. Um would be this for me and that is obviously we're talking about like one grain of sand here in the overall totality of what we're going to see from Anthony Richardson that said based on precedent whether it be Andrew Luck or I guess that was really the last time that we had a true rookie quarterback that you're handing the keys over to from the get-go how much can this that grain of sand really tell us how much does it represent the reality of what they're going to see in actual camp and full-on? In other words, is there anything that we can actually learn other than body language from what we've seen so far? I, I don't really think so. I mean, it's, it, you, you got to think about, like, it's, it's a rookie mini camp. There's a, there's a handful of guys who are with the Colts. Sometimes they're, you know, Marcel Dabo was playing there this, this week, um, the, the international transfer player. Um, but the the guys on the field, it's it's twelve. It was twelve draft picks. It's fifteen undrafted free agents, and I believe it was twenty nine tryout guys. It, it's all rookies. It's guys who are running very basic stuff. Um, you're, you're just getting giving them an introduction to the playbook and what they're going to have to do uh, with the Colts. It, it's not a competitive situation like you're going to see in training camp. So, in terms of the big picture and what what Anthony Richardson is going to be, I wouldn't say that there's anything that you can really take away from the rookie minicamp. I, I would say take more than anything, you're just watching him to go, okay, what, what are some pieces that I'm going to look for moving forward? What are some things that I'm interested in in terms of his personality and how he's going to quarterback a team and react to stuff? Um, but even that, even that is, is something that you go, okay, I've seen this now, and now I, I kind of just put that as a note and, and see if I see it again. Um, or at least that's kind of how I treated it. And he's Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star. He's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Joel, the, the the month of May and even June, Chris Ballard has used those months to find kind of a veteran free agent signing. You know, typically you see that maybe right before an OTA or a mini camp. And then that guy could, you know, potentially turn into a somewhat important piece for you. If I had a look on the roster right now, I'd probably put three positions above the rest. I put right guard, I put corner, and I put safety as like three that I could see them add to, especially the 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 first two of right guard and corner. But I, I'm curious how you would react to this thought. Part of me is like, they've already traded away Stefan Gilmore. They've made some big young investments at cornerback. I tend to think if the position does not directly support Anthony Richardson and him playing as a rookie, I'd probably opt for a youth movement there in 2023. There's going to be growing pains, but again, I don't think the win-loss is the biggest deal this season. Now, at right guard, that directly impacts Richardson, so I'd probably look into a veteran there. But at corner and safety, 
I say, okay, I'm content playing the youth. Thoughts on that? I I think that that's where they're headed. Um, that seems to be where they're headed to me um, in terms of in terms of being comfortable playing uh, young guys in the secondary. Uh, I'm I'm with you on right guard, and then the other position that I think is interesting is swing tackle. You know, they drafted Blake, Blake Freeland to be the swing tackle, but he's a rookie and a fourth round pick. And you know, if if the goal is protecting Richardson and giving him the best chance, and you want to play him early, um, you know, you, you got. I think you got to kind of give yourself a little leeway in case it takes Freeland a little while to get accustomed to the NFL. That swing tackle job, playing left side, right side. Uh, I know he's got experience at both spots, but that's that's generally tough for a rookie. You normally want somebody a little bit older doing that. So I think the offensive line is the place that I would be focusing on veterans because of what you're saying. I think most of what they've done this offseason suggests that they're comfortable seeing what they have in the roster as as they see what they have in Anthony Richardson and where he is before you know making bigger moves. Joel, was there a particular position – that during the draft, y- your your eyebrow kind of raised because you thought to yourself, they might be seeing vulnerability at a veteran that I had not anticipated. I don't know. Their, their picks kind of, especially the first five to six, just kind of kicked off need after need after need. Um, so I don't know if there was anybody that I didn't necessarily expect um. Yeah, I, I think I think maybe more than ever this draft felt like a needs based draft. And I saw I, I saw Peter King, who's covered the NFL a long time, in his column after the draft said, um, "Best player available is a myth." And it, I kind of chuckled at that because you know, especially the last several drafts, Ballard has kind of clicked off needs with at least the first couple of picks. Now sometimes there's been a a curveball in there with a guy. You know, like a Jonathan Taylor or Bobby Okereke, who is would have been a, who is a need a year out. Like the the player at their position was headed into the last year of their rookie deal. Um, but for the most part, they've clicked off needs. And, and what King said just kind of made me chuckle because it does it does seem to be the way it works is that teams do click off their needs. Um, the, the the idea of actually taking the best player available regardless of position does not seem to play out. Well, the funny thing is, I. I can understand best player available like when you're drafting 10th. It's pretty clear who that might be. Or you have two or three names right towards the top and you know you're going to get a really good player. Does best player available really become applicable when you're drafting 174th? You know what I mean? Like, is there really that big a difference between 174 and 175? We're like, oh, gosh, we swung and missed there. I mean, at some point you've got to start patching holes, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, you always hear general managers say – you know, we got to that point in the draft. It is usually with the first two days of picks. We got to that point in the draft, there was one guy standing above the rest to so just take him. Um, but I think one of the hard things is, especially that late round, I don't know that we have as much insight into what the board looks like at that time, you know, how what the clouds look like in terms of player. Um, and, or or if in some in some cases, you know, uh, you're, you're factoring in, can I get this person as an undrafted free agent? You know, Chris Ballard said, point blank uh, that the reason they took Jake Witt with their last pick was he didn't he thought there would be a lot of competition as in the undrafted free agent class and he wanted to get around that and I I know there's been other stories like that where teams have been in you know they, they start calling before the end of the drafts the guys they think won't get picked and say hey you know we're, we're interested in you we want to sign you 
And I've heard of like, you know, them being like, well, we're not sure. The agent's like, we're not sure. We're probably going somewhere else. The team's like, okay, well, I have one more pick left. I'm just going to take you. And we'll worry about getting the other player that we we're going to take instead. So some of that comes into play later in the draft, too. And, and we're really just going off of they protect these draft rooms. So they guard these draft rooms so closely that we're really just going off of what they tell us in terms of a guy is standing up on the top of the board above everybody else. Joel, give us a non-Anthony Richardson, Juju Brents, Josh Downs, draft pick, undrafted story that you are very interested in watching play out over the next few months. I, I think Emil Ekior is interesting. You know, it's it, he's he's got him. He it, he said his he's his agent told him that he thought a, a medical issue was why he fell. Uh, his agent is very experienced. His agent is is not somebody who's coming to this. Um, you know, new or lightly. So I, I would think he's probably got pretty good intel on that. But this is a guy who was all SEC at Alabama and started 40 games. Uh, and who knows, you know, what what the evaluation on that knee is. Is it, you know, how like, is it that there's there's a significant amount of years left in it? Is it that they're not sure? Like, it, as somebody who played a lot, you know, that's a, that's something I want to see is, he, in theory, he should be ready to kind of just click in and get going uh, on the interior of the offensive line, where there's there's definite opportunity, um, just because of you know where he played and the games he played against other against really good teams and really good competition. You know, that's a guy that I think most people would have thought, okay, you got an all SEC player at Alabama on the offensive line, that guy's going to get picked. Well, that that makes me wonder, you know, if. If the big question is the knee, is his level of play going to put him um, maybe in competition for higher stuff than a normal undrafted free agent? Joel, be honest. Your plans for Thursday, you having a party for the schedule release? <laughs> you having the kids over for like a gender reveal type thing? He's probably booking checking, a lot of hotel rooms, aren't checking you? Checking your bracket to find out whether or not you won Ursay's million. What do you got planned? K- KB's KB's right. The first thing the first thing I do after we put up whatever uh, is going to go on the website is I immediately start looking for like for the for hotel rooms uh, in whatever in whatever city we're we're supposed to be headed to. And what I'll end up doing is what I'll end up doing is going back during the season and like the same week of I'll, I'll see if there's something that came down in price because that does happen sometimes. And I usually try to get something on the board at least at least to start off and figure it out. And then the other thing I do, this is the second thing I do, and I know um, uh, Chris Widlick and ben, uh, Brett Bensley over at Fox 59 and CBS 4 do the same thing, is those, those first September road games, I immediately check the Major League Baseball schedule to see if I can knock off a park I haven't <laughs> oh, yeah. been to yet. Okay, so wait a minute. So with that, because I've done the same thing for IndyCar for years, um, mm-hmm. best park you've been to, Not, I mean, uh, listen, not Fenway, Yankee, Wrigley. I mean, I get it, but... Uh, surprisingly best park you've been to and the one where you're like, this place is a dump. <laughs> okay, so uh, I don't know if this is a surprise. I think a lot of people say this one. I've actually, I've I've hit 19 uh, parks, but the problem is nice. I, I, haven't, I haven't hit a lot of the famous ones. So I would say the one that's, that's it's not necessarily, it's, I think the only reason that PNC Park in Pittsburgh is not more famous is because the Pirates have been so bad since it was built. Because it's right there on the river. Like when I went, we could take. Uh, we were staying downtown. We just walked across a bridge, and we like got my kids got to be on a, a riverboat, and they'd like deposit you at the stadium. 
the sun comes down on it great. It's just an unbelievable like viewing experience as a park. PNC is definitely the best one. And then the worst one is, no apologies to Rick Venturi, who's a huge Rays fan, but the Trop is terrible. The Trop reminds me of going to the Metrodome when I was a kid. So I went to the Metrodome, yeah. Yeah, it feels like you're watching baseball in somebody's basement. So road schedule this year uh, of interest, you've got potentially an Orioles game, a Braves game, Boy, they might pay you in September to come to a Reds game. Uh, Astros, <laughs> Red Sox. Uh, what of those interest you? Uh, so, I've been to Astros. I've been to Braves. Um, new, new Braves, I guess new-ish at this point? Not new Braves, and I'd be very no. interested in new Braves. I'd be very interested in the new Braves. I, I went when I was covering Auburn, so before that one was built. New Braves I'd be interested in. I'm supposed to hit a family vacation workout. I'm supposed to hit Camden this summer, so I think Fenway would go to the top of the list. But then New Braves is a good one, KB, because I have not seen that one um, in terms of in terms of uh, a park to go see. Just like, just like I haven't been to Target Field at the Twin Stadium, which is supposed to be gorgeous in Minneapolis, and I grew up going to Twins games because they were close. But it was always in the Metrodome. It was watching it in Minnesota's basement. Now, have you been to Detroit? I have not. Nope. It's nice. Uh, it's a nice park. Uh, have you been to, I'll tell you, a very underrated park, and you're going to laugh when I say it because it's not new. It's been renovated, but it's not new. But I found it very nice. Angels. You been to the Angels? Yeah. 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 So when I covered the Saints, they did a, uh, a joint practice out there, and I was out there for four uh four days or five days or something like that and the angels were in town on the front end and the dodgers were in town on the back end i knocked off both of them but i do think that the angels park is it, it looks good I, I like the stuff in left center field um here's it, the other it, thing yeah. joel this is uh, old guy here right they did something i don't know what it is it's hard to explain but the concourses instead of like hard cement it's kind of like that rubbery surface that you play like basketball on in churches so yeah. it's super yeah. soft to walk around <laughs> i know that sounds weird but it's like it literally it's like they thought about like the retirees of southern california i don't know but i don't know <laughs> i thought it was a nice park dodger stadium's great too if you've never been to dodger you got to go to dodger that, my favorite thing about going to dodger was i sat I was with a buddy, and we sat in third row, like, next to the real Dodger fans. And as somebody who watches a lot of baseball and knows, you know, the Brewers roster pretty well, I was flabbergasted at how well some of these guys know baseball. Like, the Cardinals are bringing in a reliever, and, like, the guy next to me is talking to his friend, and he's going, ah, this isn't great. Our guy's 0 for 4 against this guy lifetime. How how do you know that? Right, right. (laughs) <laughs> well, especially considering, you know, you're talking about the Cardinals, and they are the ones with the smartest fans in baseball. Just ask them. Right? <laughs> Joel, as a, Joel, as a Brewers fan, laughs very hard That's right. at that comment there. Uh, Joel, great stuff uh, with Rookie Minicamp Weekend. I know it's been a busy couple weeks for you, so appreciate you hopping on a few times with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, yeah. 
No problem. Always like coming on with you guys. Good morning to you on a really good-looking Tuesday. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well, along with Mark Dykton. This is Kevin and Quarry on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Continuing our discussion about the Indianapolis Colts and their what we hope to be promising young quarterback, Anthony Richardson, joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. When it comes to Florida football and it comes to quarterbacking the Florida Gators and making that transition into the NFL, few would know it better than a guy that won a Heisman Trophy down in Gainesville, Danny Warfel, who joins us on the program this morning. Danny, first off, good morning to you. We are very appreciative of your time this morning. Oh, great. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Hey, I want to begin with this. You obviously have seen um, a lot of different quarterbacks that have quarterbacked at Florida, you know, and watching them since your time playing there. So for beginning sake, before we get into the nuances of Anthony Richardson himself, how detailed was the Florida offense that he would have been running? And how much does that just in terms of schematics translate into the NFL? Well, my understanding, uh, and you know, I'm not uh, living on ground level and coaching and, and, and involved in all the details of, uh, of the different offenses that are happening. But my understanding is that Billy Napier's offense is a very a head-heavy offense for a quarterback, that there's several other offenses that are sort of built to be really simple, almost like hacks for quarterbacks just to be successful, but not necessarily knowing the, the nuances, the, the theory, what's going on, what's happening. And so I think... I think that's a really good uh, situation for the Colts to have a quarterback that was playing in an offense where he was processing and thinking about uh, a lot of things at a deeper level than perhaps uh, different offenses uh, throughout the country and at different at Florida. So I think that that bodes well for him. He, he had a lot to process uh, pre-snap, a lot of formations, a lot of motions, a lot of verbiage, um, a lot of audibling. A lot of, you know, so I think that was a, a great tutorial for him. Danny, uh, so you had a quote a couple weeks back, and Danny Werfel's with us, 1996 Heisman Trophy winner, of course, at Florida. He's chatting some Anthony Richardson with us right now. He had a quote a few weeks ago about just kind of the, the, the possibility, and, and there's so much to work with with Richardson. Can you recall seeing a quarterback with so much inexperience, yet so much kind of molding of clay that's possible enter the draft? Well- yeah, well, if you just look at his combine numbers, the answer is no, because nobody has has done uh, put up the numbers he did on on all the physical skill tests that they have. So I think he's a very very unique player. I mean, he he ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, he'd have been an oversized linebacker. Like he's just he's a phenomenal specimen as an athlete, uh, and yet he's he's a very dedicated and he is a quarterback. I mean, he's really developed those skills, the the, the mental uh, the, the Arm, arm talent, um, put in a lot of work. And so, yeah, I think he's he's one of the most gifted, if not the gifted, uh, athletes uh, that can play quarterback and is a quarterback. And I think, you know, from what I understand, you know, the coordinator that you have there is a very creative person. And, and that's I think that bodes really well. Yeah, something that I've kind of observed just purely from whatever, talking with him in a couple of press conferences, he strikes me as an individual that has this balance of, like, extreme confidence but yet fully understands he needs you know a lot of work particularly from an accuracy standpoint to get to the level that he thinks is attainable as one of the best players ever in the NFL I don't know how much interaction you've had with him but just personality wise what have you seen or what have you heard he's a great young man I've got a chance to spend a good bit of time with him over over the last couple years and um 
you know, I think it's been mentioned, but I think it, it is important. You know, he's a very young man, you know, and 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 he was a, a fun, really playful kid who's who's now all of a sudden trying to uh, recognize the, the place that he is in the world. And and I think he's developed a lot in the last year, but he's still young, not just as a player. But as a person, I, I'm really, really impressed with the team of people that he's put around himself. I think it was a great move. He hired uh, Vernell Brown, who was the player personnel director at Florida, a former UF uh, football player who's just an outstanding uh, leader and, and mentor for him. And, and he's part of Team Richardson. I'm going to help him just across the board. I think that was a great move. And uh, I think he's going to just mature uh, both as a player and as a person you know, every year. Danny, when you watched Anthony Richardson, Danny Warfel's our guest, by the way, on the Payless Sickers Hotline. When you watched him at Florida in the 13 games that he was playing, did you more often than not find yourself watching him and thinking to yourself, this guy can be an elite-level NFL talent, or did you more often than not find yourself in watching him and think to yourself, this guy's a great specimen, but I don't know yet that he understands how to be a quarterback? You know, there's uh, enough evidence to think both of those things at the same time. You know, there there were times where he he made plays that you just no one else would make. You're like, how does this even happen? And then there's other routine things that you're like, oh man, that little mistake just cost us a good bit. So I think you you know you have evidence to to, to think both of those things are true. But I really do again go back to the fact that you know you can make a lot of a, of a, a little pass here or there that he missed. You can go uh, look at some of the games where it looked, especially early in the year, like confidence was rattled. And um, But then you got to go back and say, look, he's a very young man. Uh, he has hardly played very many games at all. Uh, and so there's just there's so much potential there. And I think more importantly, just this willingness, this this humility this uh, that goes along with this confidence, but this, this eagerness to be teachable, to learn, to grow, that I think is a really strong uh, aspect of who he is, which which bodes well for him being a great player. Danny, kind of hit, hit on it there. I want to expand on it. And by the way, Danny Warfel's with us, 1996 Heisman Trophy winner from Florida. You know, again, 13 games of experience is really unheard of uh, to be a first-round pick, let alone a top-five pick. We've already started the old playing time debate, how early that needs to happen in the NFL uh, how early do you think it, it would benefit Anthony Richardson to play here in year one? You know, uh, my, my general thoughts on that matter is the longer you can wait uh, before you're the guy, the better at, at any uh, at any aspect of being a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, it's tough duty, and the last thing you want to do is get in and get, get beat up, throw a bunch of interceptions, get people down, get your confidence down. And so I think in, in general – you know, my, my thoughts is the longer you can wait for a year on the field and playing, the better. You know, I think there are uh, certainly exceptions to that, and I think there could be packages, there could be situations where, where things are phenomenal for him to get in the game and do things. But, uh, you know, I'd be more an advocate to try, to try to not have him be the guy where when and if things go bad, He's taken the fall for it. That that's not a long term, to me, way of, of developing a quarterback to be your guy. Um, so I think that that comes into play a little bit. But you know, again, I think you've got some creative coaching there that 
can uh, can really maximize some of Anthony's talents right out the gate. That could be fun, and we'll see how that that unfolds. I'm sure that's what everybody's talking about. You know, I have said, Danny, and and I wanted your input on this because you know you're a guy that obviously is a Heisman Trophy winner. You come out of college. There's a lot of expectation for anybody at that level in the NFL. But my concern for any quarterback, any young quarterback, and you kind of touched on it there, but I feel like there's the, this window of time. And if that if it doesn't take off for a quarterback within that window, and I don't know what it is, whether it's a year or 20 games, but if a quarterback gets his confidence rattled at the professional level within that window, that there becomes a point where there's no coming back from it. And all of a sudden, there's just kind of almost like a quarterback PTSD. And that's what you have to be careful to avoid with a guy that you're expecting to be your franchise guy. Does that analysis make sense, or does that sound like a guy whose peak was going two undefeated years in middle school? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think there's so much to that. I think if you just look at the numbers over time, there's very few players that played early that, that didn't do well and then came around to be special. You know, I'm thinking of Brett Favre and Peyton Manning in unique situations where, um, you know, the, the, the mental toughness, the, the belief that their team had in them despite whatever happened, they were going to be the guy long-term. And I think that those are rare. I think that's a very rare thing to happen. I think you've got a lot more examples of, of players that got in early, didn't do well, and never recovered. And then I think you've got a lot of examples of guys that kind of sit for a little bit, watch a little bit. You've got Aaron Rodgers, you've got Tom Brady, you've got some of these other amazing players who didn't have to get in right away, got adjusted to life in the NFL, uh, got to see it, see the game from the sideline a little bit, develop their understanding, maturity, and then all of a sudden they're they're all pro players. So I think that's the the, the more normal trajectory. But again, anything can happen. Danny Warfel's with us, 1996 Heisman Trophy winner. Danny, kind of moving away from Anthony Richardson here for a second, I you strike me as a very humble individual. Ego seems to be uh, nowhere to be found whatsoever. When you see all this NIL money, do you think to yourself what it could have looked like for you in the mid-'90s? Yeah, every now and then there's a twinge of, what the heck? Uh, <laughs> and, I think uh, of you, I think of Tebow. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, talk about Florida quarterbacks. Come on now. Yeah, that's funny. I was walking through the Florida facility the other day, and I was thirsty, and there wasn't anybody around, but there was one of those little refrigerators where they had the, the, the Gatorade in it, and I was like, I should really ask, but no, I don't. I, they owe me a Gatorade. I'm <laughs> a Gatorade proudly. So that was my NIL. Hey, um, were you a better football player or pickleball player? <laughs> well, clearly uh, I was a better football player, but I'm working on the pickleball. Um, it's Probably, don't tell the Gator fans, my favorite sport I've ever played. I absolutely love it. And, you know, anyone can play, anyone can get good, but it's like like a lot of sports, it's hard to master. And uh, I've just really, really enjoyed it. You know, I think one of the great things, I have said this, Danny, if I was a guy like in my early 30s and got, and I had to move, and I moved to a new city, right? All of a sudden, boom, you, you got to, I got to move to, you know, whatever, Dallas for a new job. It would be the perfect way to meet people because at my gym, there's constantly people playing pickleball and they're like from all ages, like across the board, right? Like teaming up together and and playing together. That aspect of it, I think, is very cool. Incredibly fun social sport. You know, my 
eight-year-old nephew played a match with my 77-year-old mother the other day. They were teammates and had a great time. And uh, all the way up to, you know, professional-level athletes, Jack Sock just just won a a pickleball tournament. Uh, He's one of the best tennis players out there still, and he – he, he's been dabbling in pickleball, so the the it's just a great a great sport. If anybody hadn't tried it, they, they're missing out. I have always been fascinated, Danny Warfel, by the Heisman Trophy. So allow me to ask this: When you win the Heisman, do they give? Are there like two variations of it? One for the school to display, and one for you? Or do you guys have to like? Do you have to like every two years go back to Florida and be like, here, you guys can borrow it for a year, and then I'll come back and pick it up again? Yeah, it was a lot of negotiation over time and calendars. No, there's two. They uh, they make one uh, for the winner and then one for the school. So each each group gets to proudly display it. Danny, what uh, what's the post career been like for you? I know um, you're involved with the foundation, heavily involved with the foundation. But tell us a little bit about uh, Danny Warfel nowadays. Great. Well, my entire life's mission has been to inspire service and unity in the world. And uh, through the Werfel Foundation, we get to do that all across. We we do a lot of work supporting Desire Street, which works in inner cities all over the southeast. That's a big thing that we do. We also have the Werfel Trophy, which is a college award for community service. So it's a football award uh, for Division One football players. So we do that, and we also support a lot of other nonprofits around as well. And so just tons of fun we've had golf tournaments and now we've got a the big celebrity pro-am pickleball event that we've been doing and uh just uh was telling my wife the other day i'm, I'm very fortunate i've uh, given given my life to nonprofit stuff i thought it would be a sacrifice and and here in hosting golf tournaments and pickleball tournaments and, and getting to play and have fun and help a lot of folks so it's been a, a great journey it's very admirable for certain for Danny Warfel and again great player and certainly appreciate the time this morning and this pickleball thing's taken off like a rocket ship man who knows before we know it 20 years from now you might be Danny Warfel pickleball star as opposed to the uh the Florida fans might say you know what yeah he, he's a he was a gator but he's a pickleball guy now right yeah, well, it's a little bit like golf. There's a senior pro tour. So there's some hope for me because I'll never catch up to the young kids. But I'm getting old, so maybe I can beat some old people. Gosh, now I'm imagining Anthony Richardson on a pickleball court and how much room he could cover there with that size and with oh, that speed. Oh, my word. Yeah, let's start training him there. Yeah, I'm going to talk to him. Hopefully I won't talk him out of playing for you guys. Hey, that's, uh, that's already happened once in this market, so we need to keep Anthony Richardson <laughs> here for as long as possible. Danny, appreciate the time on this Tuesday morning. Thank you, and uh, I uh, hope all is well. Thanks, guys. Take care. 